Good evening and welcome to tonight's Bible study. I trust that we are all doing well and we have started our week on a very good note. Uh, we are still on our series, Understanding the Kingdom of God from Parables, and we'll be on our eighth parable in a few minutes. But before that, let's recap on last week's teaching. Our seventh parable was about the barren fig tree in Luke chapter 13, verse 6 to 9, where Jesus used this parable to drive home some spiritual truths about repentance. We, we learned about that last week. Uh, we are in the dispensation of grace where it seems God's coming is slacking. Uh, it, it isn't slacking, but it's just God's long suffering. As we read in 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 3, 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 8 to 10. The Bible says he's long suffering. He doesn't want anybody to perish. Cry, the, the Lord could have come any moment from now, but it, it, might, it might look a very long drawn process. Um, but we just have to thank God for his long suffering, for his mercies. It is so because he doesn't want any of us to perish. And Jesus cautioned us from this parable that if we refuse to live a life of repentance, we will be judged by a just God. Uh, it's in tribute to his righteousness and justice, not wickedness. You know, there are some people who still don't understand the judgment day. People think that the judgment day will happen because God is a wicked God. No, the judgment day will happen because God is a God of justice. And it's a God of righteousness. It's in tribute to this divine and priestly qualities, pristine qualities, I'm sorry. That is why the Lord will have to judge the world. You know, for some time now, I've been thinking that one day we really have to do, do this in Bible studies. Why would the Lord judge and then we look at it from a scriptural point of view than, you know, our traditional understanding of it, which sometimes can be wrong. Amen. And sometimes when you have applied tradition and you apply a logical understanding to biblical events like this, it could even let you backslide. You don't take care. Amen. Uh, one of the popular ministers here, you know, he left the, the faith because now he believes in the gospel of inclusion. And, and one of the things that really bothered him was this subject on judgments. You have to understand it from a biblical point of view. So I pray that, you know, one day I'll have that impression to be able to teach on that subject so that we can gain clarity of it. Because now it looks like if you look at the current context of our church, may, many Christians are starting to doubt the judgment, you know, and uh, a lot of new age theology and logics are coming in, which, which does not really help per se. Amen. So we have to understand that so when God judges, it's not because he's a wicked God. When God judges, it's not because he's a merciless God. When God judges, it is because of his attributes. He's a God of justice. He's a God of righteousness. And it's in his nature to judge. I, I, I pray that one day we'll do a whole series on that. Amen. So when we talk about repentance, what do we mean? Repentance doesn't mean contri contrition or contrition, being contrite, right? That's not really repentance. Repentance does not necessarily mean sorrowful. When we are talking about repentance, repentance means a changed mind. Change your mind change your mind metanoia it means to change your mind and when you change your mind your actions follow suit because of the direction of your mind so when we are talking about repentance repentance is not only to the task of unbelievers unbelievers and unbelievers continually have to live a life of repentance have to live a life where we will have what we call reformation of the mind and when we have reformation of the mind that is where we are able to live like christ all right so please listen to last week's message on our podcast we did we did throw more light on that let's pray father we thank you for this evening as we come before your holy word we pray that your word will minister to us in simplicity and in clarity of speech 
in understanding yet in the fullness and in the power of your spirit. Thank you for what we will learn tonight. We pray that may we take the contents of what we will hear tonight and run with it and mix it with a heart of faith that it will profit us in Jesus' name. Amen. So today's parable is recorded in three accounts. Uh, Matthew chapter 24, verse 32 to 36. Mark chapter 13, verse 28 to 32. Luke chapter 21, verse 29 to 33. So I repeat, Matthew chapter 24, verse 32 to 36. That's the first account. It's the same parable. The second account is in Mark chapter 13, verse 28 to 32. And the third account is in Luke chapter 21, verse 29 to 33. And today the parable in question is the parable of the good fig tree. The parable of the good fig tree. So I'm just going to look at Matthew's account. Amen. So Matthew chapter 24 verse 32 to 36. I read. Now, learn this parable from the fig tree. When its branch has already become tender and put forth leaves, you know that summer is near. So you also, when you see all these things, know that it is near at the doors. 34, assuredly, I say to you, this generation will by no means pass away till all these things take place. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will by no means pass away. But of that day and hour, no one knows, not even the angels of heaven, but my Father only. Amen. So like we said last time, you don't interpret a parable without considering the immediate context. So for us to really understand this parable, I want us to read the preceding verses of this text. So to gain clarity, let's start from verse 3. And then once we read into verse 32, we'll be able to get the grounds on which the parable was narrated. Amen. So Matthew chapter 24, verse 3 going. And I'm going to read from verse 3 to 14. Now, as he sat on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately, saying, Tell us when will these things be? And what will be the sign of your coming and the end of the age? So these disciples had a question. And mind you, in the book of Matthew, these were about two more parables Jesus was going to say. And then chapter 26, that's when they plotted to kill him. And he went for, to have the last supper and... They arrested him in 27, and then they killed him. So his days are drawing near to a conclusion. And I believe these disciples had a very burning question on their hearts. They wanted to know, okay, you've told us a lot. You know, you've told us about the coming of the Lord, and so be it. But when would these things be? When should we expect it? What will be the sign of your coming? What will be the end of the age? So you could see that they wanted, Lord, we want a particular day. When is the particular day that we will experience the end of this age? And what things will we need to watch out for when the day is being ushered in? So now Jesus is going to answer that question. So let's look at verses 4 to 14. And Jesus answered and said to them, Take heed that no one deceives you. For many will come in my name, saying, I am the Christ, and will deceive many. And you will hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that you are not troubled. For all these things must come to pass, but the end is not yet. For nation will rise against nation 
and kingdom against kingdom. And there will be famines, pestilences, and earthquakes in various places. All these are the beginning of sorrows. Then they will deliver you up to tribulation and kill you. And you will be hated by all nations for my name's sake. And then many will be offended, will betray one another, and hate one another. Then many false prophets will rise up and deceive many. And because lawlessness will abound, the love of many will grow cold. But he who endures to the end shall be saved. And this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in all the world as a witness to all the nations. And the end will come. Amen. So in this passage just read, Jesus answered a question to one of his disciples inquiring about the signs of the end times. So Jesus gave 16 signs or 15 signs as follows. So let me read through the signs. So um, from verses 4 to 14, you will see 15 signs. All right. So the first sign that will usher in the coming of the Lord is deception. It's deception. When when I when I mentioned this, I do remember a book I did recommend. How many of you have the book Protection from Deception by Derek Prince? I think I recommended this book over and over and over. It's one of the best books. Personally, I believe one of the best books to read, especially in these times we are in now. You have to learn how to navigate through times of deceit, times of fraud, times of deception. Amen. You would think that in the spirit there is nothing like that, but it does exist. It doesn't exist in the world. It does exist in the spirit world. People are going to claim they are the Christ. Haven't you heard that? I've heard many stories like that. See people calling themselves Christ. It's a form of deception. There is no Christ except Jesus Christ who died for us, who rose from the dead and has ascended and is now at the right hand of the Father. That is the only Christ. There is no Christ. Anybody who claims to say he is, a, he is Christ, he is a type of Jesus, and you give in to that, you are given into deception. So deceptions will abound in the last days. The second symptom or sign is wars and rumors of wars. You just have to listen to the news. Amen. Number three, nation against nation. Do we see what is happening currently between two countries? You know, nation against nation. Number four, kingdom against kingdom. Number five, famines. Number six, pestilences. That means dangerous things. You know, dangerous things will happen. And it is, it is happening. Number seven, earthquakes in various places. Have you heard of any earthquakes this year? Earthquakes in various places. Number eight, tribulation of the saints. It's happening. Thank God that some of us live in a part of the world where um, um, religious rights um, of, of, you know, how do they even call it? Freedom of your religious rights is encouraged. In other countries, it's not so. In other countries, you are killed just for saying the name of Jesus. You can't even profess Jesus as your Lord and personal Savior. In some countries of this world, it's a crime to hold a Bible. It's a crime. I even heard in certain countries, they have even been able to block software in such a part that you are not able to download the Bible. I've heard. So serious. So that is really happening. It's a major sign of the end time. Num number nine, offenses. Offenses will abound. It is because of the abundance of offenses. That's now, now we have this word called church heads. <laughs> it's offenses. It's, it's a sign. Now you are heads, you just want to blame the church for it. And I'm not exonerating the church too, but... It's not everything that's forced squarely on the shoulders of the church. Sometimes we just time to come up with these labels and these cliches to pin the church in the bar because you are offended. That's the thing. You are, you are offended. It's not really necessarily the fault of the church. 
you're offended and you want to come up with a cliche and a buzzword that looks very trendy on social media. So church heads, that's one of them. People are offended. In the last days, many people will be offended. People are just going to be offended. They are going to be offended at the slightest provocation. It's a sign of the end time. Number 10, betrayal. It's going to be a lot of betrayal. A lot of disloyalty. A lot of unfaithfulness in the last days. You should, you should expect it. You should expect it. People that you start with, you are not going to end with them. So there's going to be a lot of betrayal. Expect it. Expect it. Yeah, you are not going to finish with the same people. Only if it's the same people. You should expect it. They are going to betray one another. Family members will betray family members. Church members will betray one another. Pastors will betray one another. It's going to be a, it's a ricochet of betrayal. It's a sign of the end time. Jesus is saying that if you want to know the signs of the end time, look at what is ushering it in. Betrayal is one of them. Amen. And betrayal stands from offense. So if you want to deal with betrayal, you have to deal with offense. Amen. Number 11, hatred of one another. Hatred is going to come at such a high intensity. The Cain type of hatred, that's what we are talking about. When you read Jude, Jude talks about it. Hatred, the Cain type of hatred. That the slightest provocation, you will kill somebody. Just recently in the news, I think one black guy just went to knock on the wrong door and he was killed. That's all. Hatred of one another. That's it. And he went to knock on the wrong house. It's nothing. No exchange of words. He was just shot, cold-blooded. And it became news. Hatred of one another. Number 12, false prophets. When you are a Christian, one of the things you should never ever despise is prophecy. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. Despise not prophecies and quench not the spirits. It's in addition to that. So when you are a believer, you have to believe in the prophetic. You have to believe in prophecy. Because I also see some people who are also swinging to the opposite side of the pendulum, which doesn't help. Prophecy is biblical. Prophecy is correct. Prophecy is right. If someone has a prophetic gift, we should encourage the person to flow in the prophetic. It is very important. Despise not prophecies, as Apostle Paul said. But with that in mind, be careful of false prophets. They will be on the ascendancy. That is why in 1 John chapter 4, verse 1, the Bible says that we should not believe every spirit, but we should test the spirit. And how do you test them? You test them by the word of God. That's all. That prophecy that you are giving to me, is it in line with the word of God? Is it in line? Because whatever the spirit will have to say, we, we, we did it in the John series. He will not speak on his own authority. Everything that he is going to say is going to be governed by the parameters of God's word. So the prophecy that you've received, judge it by the authenticity of God's word. If you can't find a scripture or if it's contrary to the word of God, don't take it. That's how you judge prophecy. You don't judge prophecy with your mind. You judge prophecy based on the amount of scripture you have on the inside of you. Amen. So false prophets shall arise in the last days. How be it? Don't despise prophecies. One of the ways to quench the spirit of the Lord is to restrict the flow of the prophetic. Is to, is to restrict the office of prophets. Amen. Prophets should be allowed to be in operation. Prophets should flow. We should allow for prophecies to take place. That is why it's very important 
we stress on the baptism of the gift of the Holy Spirit, where it comes with the evidence of speaking in tongues. Because one of the ways by which members and believers can prophesy, because we all have the simple gift of prophecy, is different from the spiritual gift of prophecy or standing in the office of a prophet. One of the things that, that happens as a side effect of speaking in tongues is that you build your capacity to prophesy. So when we are, we are not talking about speaking in tongues and we are not encouraging it and we are not encouraging our members to pursue that gift, which is biblical, we are somehow restricting the flow of the prophetic. Hence, minimizing the office of a prophet. It shouldn't happen. Albeit, be on the guard of false prophets. Amen. They'll be on the ascendancy. Number 13, lawlessness. Lawlessness will be on the ascendancy. Just today, I just went on Twitter. I just saw somebody. It's, it's, a, it's like, you know, every stupid thing just becomes a trend. Every stupid thing. Somebody just took a drink, opened it, spat in the drink, and closed it, and put it back on the counter. You know, this has become some sort of like a trend on TikTok or something. And I saw it on Twitter, you know, and... You know, people are just replicating the action. It's so silly. Lawlessness. Lawlessness. Number 14, backsliding. The love of many shall wax cold. The Bible says. The love of many shall wax cold. The love of many shall wax cold. We are in the days people may not even feel like serving the Lord. And they might not even have a reason. The love of many shall wax cold. It is the spirit of this age. The love of many shall wax cold. Just pray that you are not one of the unfortunate ones that will happen to. The love of many shall wax cold. The love of many. Backsliding is going to be very rampant. Number 15, the preaching of the gospel to the nations of the world. This is one very good sign. It's going to happen. Today, by the grace of God, many churches are on podcasts. The message is being broadcast to the nations of the world. There are some very fine theologians who are writing blogs. The, nation, the, the gospel is being preached to the nations of the world. There are many churches who are utilizing Facebook Live, Instagram, YouTube. And they are, you know, they are YouTubing their services live. They are putting their services on Facebook and it's traveling to the nations of the world. One day I read a statistic that if Facebook was a nation, it would have been the third largest nation in the world. So that's a whole nation. If you broadcast your message to Facebook, that's a whole, potentially you are broadcasting to the third largest nation of the world. Potentially. And Facebook would have been the largest nation in the world if China was, was using Facebook, but they don't anyway. So, but but you, you get a picture. The, the, the gospel is traveling. Many churches are now building studios. At first, churches used to beg, can we, can we pay 30 minutes of, and, and then of, of your slots? You know, and then Christian television came. Now, today, many churches are seeing the reason that I can build my own station. 24 hours, seven days a week. Many people are doing that. It's a fulfillment of this scripture, the preaching of the gospel to the nations of the world. I think it's a good initiative. If a church is able to build a whole studio and they are able to preach the gospel 24-7, without any funding from corporates or whatever, they have their own platform, they are able to send a message. I believe it's one of the great forces of evangelism that needs to be encouraged. The preaching of the gospel to the nations of the world. Today, look at us, we are on Zoom. The nations of the world. Amen. So, the preaching of the gospel to the nations of the world. Thank God for that. It's a major sign of the end time. So, 15 signs. And then when you read verses 15 to 31, it talks about the next sign called the great tribulation. Amen. So let's read verse 15 to verse 31. Because all those verses there talks to us about the great tribulation. 
Amen. Sometimes people want to have these theological discourses about tribulation. Some will ask, are you pre-trib? That's, are you pre-tribulation? Are you post-trib? Are you post-tribulation? You know, all that sort of thing. Amen. It should just allow the Bible to inform us and than, than all these cliches. So verse 15, let's, let's read on. Therefore, when you see the abomination of desolation, spoken of by Daniel the prophet, standing in the holy place, what's the abomination of desolation? You know, in the Old Testament, holy things belonged in the temple of God. Holy things belong to the temple of God. So things like the menorah, the showbread, all those things, the, the, the bronze lever, they belong in the temple of the Lord. But Daniel prophesied about the abomination of desolation, where now pagan things will now be put in the holy place of God. That's what it means by the abomination of desolation. And that actually happened. Amen. That happened. So now, verse 15, when you see the abomination of desolation, spoken of by Daniel the prophet, standing in the holy place, whoever reads, let him understand. Then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Let him who is on the housetop not go down to take anything out of his house. And let him who is in the field not go back to get his clothes. But woe to those who are pregnant and to those who are nursing babies in those days. And pray that your flight may not be in winter or on the Sabbath. For then there will be great tribulation as such as has not been seen since the beginning of the world until this time, nor ever shall be. And unless those days were shortened, no flesh will be saved. But for the elect's sake, those days will be shortened. So this is talking about the tribulation. This is talking about a period of the rapture that would have taken place and then some people will be on the earth. The Bible lets us know that it's going to be fierce. There are scriptures to support that first Thessalonians revelation. I don't want to go into all those scriptures, but I go into it. We are going to deviate and teach something entirely different. Amen. All right. So it's saying that, but pray that your flights will not be in the winter or in the Sabbath. And there will be great tribulation, which has not been seen since the beginning of the world. So we've not yet experienced that tribulation that Christ is talking about. That will come after the rapture of the church. And Jesus is saying that unless those days are shortened, there will not even be one person saved. You know, in the days of the tribulation, some people will still be saved. Some will be saved. For those elixic, the days have to be shortened. Because if it's not shortened, nobody will be saved. Amen. Then if anyone says to you, look, here is the Christ or there, do not believe it. During the tribulation too, there will be the rise of the Christ. One who will say, I am the Prince of Peace. I am Christ. I extol all the qualities of Christ. Amen. It's so funny. That, that, that Christ, who is known as the Antichrist, we will not see him until the tribulation. He's not here. Sometimes people like to say things like the Pope, the coming president, whatever, of every nation. That's not the Antichrist. You, the Antichrist will finally reveal himself, who is called the son of perdition. He will reveal himself in the days of tribulation. Now in these days, pre-tribulation, you will not see the Antichrist. You will just see Antichrist with an S. And they are there to deceive people. They are against the anointing. They are false prophets with lying signs and all that. But we will have the Antichrist, T-H-E, who is known as the son of perdition, who will be unveiled in the days of tribulation. But not now. So now you will not see him. Amen. For false Christes and false prophets will rise and show great signs and wonders to deceive, if possible, even the elect. See, I have told you beforehand. Therefore, if they say to you, look, he is in the desert, do not go out. Or look, he is in the inner rooms, do not believe it. 
For as the lightning comes from the east and flashes to the west, so also will the coming of the Son of Man be. So in the tribulation, the coming of the Son of Man will be. So before we experience that, the coming of the Son of Man will not be. The church will be raptured. But in the tribulation, to bring that whole period to an end, the coming of the Son of Man will be. That's what we read during the ascension, where the angel of the Lord said, then we shall see him descending. As you saw him ascending, we shall see him ascending, and his feet will touch the ground. It's coming to judge. It will happen during the days of tribulation. When we see that, that means that the tribulation has ended, and finally will be judged. Amen. For wherever the carcass is, there the eagles will be gathered together. Immediately after the tribulation of those days, the sun will be darkened and the moon will not give us light. So 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 8 to 10 talks about that. If you do remember, we did read that scripture. When the coming of the Lord uh, uh, appears finally, the Bible lets us know the elements of this earth will give way. Everything will be wasted. Everything will be destroyed because of the coming of the Son of the man who is the Lord and our Savior, Jesus Christ. And the moon will not give its light. The stars will fall from heaven. The powers of the heavens will be shaken. Then the sign of the Son of Man will appear in heaven. And then all the tribes of the earth will mourn. And they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. And he will send his angels with a great sound of a trumpet. And they will gather together his elect from the four winds from one end of the heavens to the other. Amen. So now, that's the great tribulation. So verses 15 to 31 talks to us about the great tribulation. Everything that has to constitute within the great tribulation will happen. Amen. So on the heels of talking about the signs of the end times, that was when Jesus decided to talk about the blossoming of the fig tree, which starts with the appearance of leaves. So the appearance of the fig tree's blossoming. Now, let me just read that story again, because we've read a lengthy passage. So Matthew chapter 24, verse 32 to 36. Now, learn this parable from the fig tree. When its branch has already become tender, and put forth leaves. Know that summer is near. So you also, when you see all these things, know that it is near at the doors. Assuredly, I say to you, this generation will by no means pass away till all these things take place. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. But that day and hour, no one knows, not even the angels, but my Father in heaven only. Amen. So, after Jesus had given the signs of the end times, he now talked about this parable. And he used the parable of the fig trees blossoming, which starts with the appearance of leaves. You know, the appearance of leaves on a fig tree is a clear indicator to a farmer. When the farmer sees that, the farmer knows that it's time for harvest. We are about to approach the season of harvest, which is the summer. Amen. So likewise, Jesus was letting us know that when we see all these signs played out in front of our eyes, we should know that the coming of the Lord is near. It's at hand. Like Jesus said, it's near at the doors. We should know that. And Jesus predicted something. He said that, this generation will not pass away till all these things take place. This, the word generation there can be a bit misleading. The word generation there, if you look at the Greek meaning, it just simply means the race, this human race. So at no point in life would the human race pass away before all these things will unfold and will take place. So Jesus is saying that, the human race will see all these things 
The human race will not pass away. The human race will see all these things take place. And when they take place, know that the coming of the Lord is at hand. And Jesus, in his words, says that heaven and earth will pass away, but his words will not pass away. Now, there's one thing we have to know what Jesus said. Jesus says that when we see all these things playing out, the coming of the Lord is at hand. I like verse 36. Because in verse 36, he says that even though the coming of the Lord is at hand, no one knows the day nor the hour the Son of Man is coming. Not even the angels, but only my Father in heaven. So sometimes there are some people who accuse the church like, oh, you people are saying that the Lord is coming, the Lord is coming. Yeah, Jesus says that these things are signs of his coming, but he didn't explicitly give us the day, whether it will happen on a Wednesday, whether it will happen on a Thursday, whether it will happen on this particular year. He didn't give us the day. He didn't give us the year. He didn't give us the hour, whether it will happen at night, whether it will happen at dawn, whether it will happen at dusk, whether it will happen at twilight. He didn't give us those fine details. He just says that when we see all these signs, the 15 signs that we just read of, or plus one, the great tribulation, the 16 signs that we just read, when we see all these, we should just know that the coming of the Lord is at hand. It's near our doors, near, it's at the doors. But when it comes to the day, or the hour of the event, no one knows, not even angels, except God the Father. So don't believe anybody that goes around saying that the Lord is coming soon and it's not real. I've believed that thing only once. I remember I was young. You know, when, when, for some reason I was young, they never celebrated my birthday. Because during the time of my birthday, my mom is always out of the country for some reason. Never celebrated. This particular time they were going to celebrate my, I was very young, preteens. I received a tract. Unfortunately, the Lord is coming. And it was my birthday, 25th October, 19, whatever. I mean, like a long time ago. Man, I'm like, Why? My birthday. This is the first time they will celebrate my birthday. No, it, it, it was just a bad experience. I couldn't celebrate. I just couldn't celebrate. I woke up, confessed all my sins, prayed. I couldn't enjoy, couldn't have fun, nothing. I waited. The Lord didn't come. From that day, nobody can deceive me again. Nobody can deceive me again. That Nobody knows the day nor the hour. It really pains me that I never knew this particular. But I was a kid. I was a kid. I saw the flame like, man, I was asking my friends, are you sure the Lord is going to come somewhere like convinced? Like, yeah, he's going to come. I'm like, wow. I told my mom, I don't think we should have the party. You know, it's not necessary because see, the Lord is coming with the tracts and everything and the dates. But the Bible says that no one knows the day or the hour. Nobody. Anybody that has predicted that has fallen flat to the face. Anybody who has, has fallen flat to the face. Nobody knows. Nobody knows. God is never going to break his word and reveal this date to a man. Never. No angel, no. It's only Christ and then God the Father. They will not share this secret with anybody. That's why we have to be on guard and we have to be vigilant. And when you read the subsequent verses, Jesus says that the coming of the Son of Man will just be like the days of Noah. So we have to be on guard. We have to be vigilant and we have to be sober. But Jesus at least gave a clear clue to know that, wow, when we see this thing, we are perfectly in the calendar of the event of the coming of the Lord. But when it comes to the day, the hour, no one knows except God our Father. So that's all that God gave to us. That's the wisdom. It's good enough. 
So at least when we see these signs, we should guard our hearts in sobriety, live vigilantly, and live in expectation of the coming of the Lord. That, that's all that matters. This is good enough for us. So in Jesus trying to explain to us the signs of the end times, hence his illustration of the parable of the good fig tree. When you look at the fig tree and you see the blossoming of its leaves and you see that it's tender, you definitely know it's time for harvest. Likewise, when we see all these signs play out in front of us, don't take it for a joke. The coming of the Son of Man is at hand. Amen. So please, as we have learned this tonight, let's be on guard. Let's be, let's be aware that the Lord's coming is at hand. Amen. So Jesus' parable, it really cautions us to live a very vigilant life and a very sober one so that we don't miss the day of his coming. When you look at chapter 25, he buttresses that point again because I think it's one of his passions. Just before he goes on the cross, he uses the foolish virgins and the wise virgins. What made the wise from the foolish was the wise prepared. They anticipated the arrival of the bridegroom. And we will come to that parable. Amen. But readiness. Who says your vessels in readiness of the Lord's coming. The Lord will come again. We don't know the day. We don't know the hour. No great prophet knows. No great apostle knows. Nobody knows. Holy Spirit will not give us this instruction because he will not speak on his own authority. The angels of heaven don't know. It is only God, the Father in heaven, and Christ the Son that just knows this day. This is exclusively for them. Exclusively for them. Our job is just to be in eager anticipation and be in expectancy of the blessed coming of our Lord and Savior. Jesus Christ. Amen. So the, the eighth parable, that the lesson that we've learned today is that Jesus used this parable to drive home the truth of preparedness and readiness for this coming event. God bless you. Thank you, sir. Do we have any questions or contribution? Floor is open. It's welcome. I have one question. Okay. Yeah, so um I mean some some teachers of eschatology have said that um the fig tree is symbolic of the nation of Israel. And um mm -hmm. The fig tree represents the nation of Israel. So um, what's your view on that um, teaching? Hey Amen. I've, I've, I've also read quite a number of views on that, that the fig tree represents the nation of Israel. But the thing about interpretation when we are doing that is that when it's a symbol... One, one cardinal rule of biblical interpretation is that it has to have a universal application in all places. So what about the fig tree that didn't give fruit? Would that fig tree also represent the nation of Israel? So sometimes when I read that or when I hear that, I, I see holes in that. Because you also have to understand when Jesus was ministering during the time of Israel, Israel was a backslidden nation. Israel actually fulfilled the prophecy of Isaiah. Their hearts were dull. Their ears were heavy. And that is the reason Jesus even used parables. So spiritually speaking, Israel was a very disconnected society from God. 
So when 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 people are saying that this fig tree represents Israel, that's my personal opinion. I have a problem with that because this is talking about the blossoming of a fig tree, which signals to us a season. So for me, at which point did Israel blossom? I have many questions. So for me personally, when I read this, I don't really read into it the nation of Israel. I do understand certain places in the Bible where the fig tree might mean the nation of Israel. But when I read the story, for me, what I take out of this story is that when the fig tree blossoms, it is tantamount to the ripening of events making way for the coming of the Lord. I think for me, that fits better in this story than using Israel. Because Israel at this point, they were not spiritually connected. After Christ's ascension, they were still not spiritually connected. It was just one fraction of Israel that really received the gospel very well. But if you really even look at after Christ's ascension, the, the major part of the world that became strong believers was entirely the Gentile region, not really Israel as a nation. But for example, when it talks about Romans chapter 11, where it talks about the tree, where it says that we have been grafted into the tree as a wild olive tree, I believe that that tree there represents Israel. And I, I believe that the combination of events will have to end with Israel coming back to the gospel because they received the gospel first. And of course, they will have to be saved before the end of the world comes. I do believe that. So there are certain trees in the Bible that symbolizes Israel. But when it comes to this particular story in Matthew chapter 24, I'm just talking from my personal beliefs and my conviction. I don't believe this fits the picture of Israel. Amen. So, Pastor Roberts, I don't know if I've answered your question. Yes, thank you. So, apart from what the teachers say, what do you also think? Because I'm sure you might also have an idea. Um, so thing thing that um from the example that you gave about the fig tree that Jesus Christ um cursed, I think I've read again I either read or something I, that um that fig tree was also symbolic of the nation of Israel, and um the in the in the case of the fig tree, some people have explained that um when the nation of Israel start coming together. When they start coming together to form that nation Israel again, that is that is the sign that the fig tree there was talking about. Okay. So the also interesting part is that what about the fig leaves that Adam and Eve used to cover themselves? You see, so that that's why for me I always have a problem with that interpretation. Because one thing I know is that in the Bible, anything that is symbolic has a very universal application. So when Adam and Eve sent the fig leaves that they used to cover themselves, they took it from a fig tree. What was that? So that's 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 the question I will always throw to some of these people. Amen. All right. Who has any question, any contribution? Okay, I have a I have a question. I'm a little I don't know how to properly ask the question though, so if you guys can help me out. And I have the thought, but I don't know how to put it into words. So, um, so we all know, 
so for reading this and a lot of us know, right? So a lot of these events are going to happen just like you listed them out, right? Rumors of wars, pestilence, all these things, yes. Yeah? So we know that they have to happen. So as Christians, when we are praying, what is the proper was it way to intercede? Right, because they have to happen. So do you, do you get what I'm trying to say? You know, when there's wars happening and is it wrong to say, well, we don't want this war to happen? Do you get like, how, how do we properly pray during this season of these things occurring? I think maybe that's the question I have. Yeah. Amen. That's a very good question. That's a, that's a very, very good question. Yeah. That's a very good question. Well, the fact that these things happen doesn't mean we shouldn't pray. It doesn't mean we also shouldn't intercede. That's me should intercede. All right. You're unmuted so you can talk. Yeah, I was say. It's saved. And it's God's will that his kingdom will fully be established here. So we can pray for both. We can pray that his will that all human beings will be saved happen. And again, we can also pray that he return, he come, his kingdom fully established here on earth. That's all I'll say. Amen. That's powerful. That's powerful. Pastor Roberts, what do you think? Yeah, maybe I was, I'm going to add to the question. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> yeah, so for instance, I, I mean, like when COVID hits, I, I I had some people saying, oh, God God is God is judging people and God is judging the world. And so some believers were kind of, I don't know if you say, I should say excited. But I, I my thoughts was that if, as long as we are still here on earth, as the light of the world and as the church, until we, the church is snatched away, then we have to continue to intercede for people, yeah. that people will be saved, like um, Mr. Hayward said. So we, as, as the church is still here until we are snatched away, we just have to keep praying and keeping things in order till we are snatched away. That's, I mean, that's my thoughts though, but I don't know if, if what you think about it. Oh yeah, that's that's exactly correct. That's why we are here. I mean, it talks about the tribulation of the saints. I will still pray for deliverance for saints from reasonable and wicked men. Apostle Paul talked about it. I think First Thessalonians three two. Someone should fact check me on that. He said, I pray that may, may we be delivered from wicked and unreasonable men. It's talking about tribulation. They are talking about sins. If they fall into the hands of wicked and unreasonable, they will be killed. We still have to pray. Still have to intercede. So mind you, we do know that it is the signs of the end times. It still doesn't mean we will just fold our hands and say, it's okay. Like, for example, look at what is happening between Russia and Ukraine. Don't are we not Christians enough to have a heart of intercession and pray for the people of Ukraine and Russia that all this bombing and all these you know missiles that they are throwing among themselves will come to an end? They should pray. I don't I will not say oh it's it's you know a sign of the end time. So so I feel like Christians, as we are on this earth, our saltiness should be felt, our brightness as the light of the world should also be felt. You know, one, one of the prophecies that um, Isaiah gave when we fast is that we'll be called the repairers of the breach, the restorer of the streets to dwell in. We, we should live that. Irrespective of whether this is a sign of the end time or not, we should live that. We are repairers of the breach. Amen. So where we are here, we are not supposed to make things worse. We are supposed to repair Breaches, 
and we are supposed to restore dwellers in the streets. Amen. Okay. Two minutes past eight. I'm enjoying the discussion. This is great. Do you have anything you can say, you can share with us? If not, one person can just tell us what they've learned tonight and then we'll pray. What's one thing ministered to you tonight? I guess I'll quickly say that um, it, it, it's that awareness that don't we should we should not just um, take things on a face value. What um, God has said, what is in His Word, is surely coming to pass, and the signs are there, and we should adhere and be expectant, maybe. Um, of all these and be and be ready for and um, what what he said and perhaps ginger us to to spread the uh, this this good news of rescue of God's grace of God's love for the world to be able to escape the tribulation and the aftermath. That is definitely um, what I took on. Thank you. Amen. Thank you, sir. And if we want to be able to stay in the presence or be aware, let me just read James, I'm sorry, Titus chapter 2, just to encourage us. Verses 11 to 13. For the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men. So grace is a teacher. It teaches us to deny ungodliness, worldly lust that we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present age. And this grace also helps us to look forward towards the blessed hope and the glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. You can only say that the coming of the Lord is blessed hope because of grace. So just submit yourself under the grace of God. Amen. If you don't, you will see the coming of the Lord as an unnecessary interruption. Honestly, sometimes when they said that the Lord is coming soon, some years back, I used to see it as very unnecessary interruption. I'll be honest to you. I'm like, what is this? I've not married. I've not done this. No, Lord, you can't come now. You should suspend. I want to marry. I want to do this. I want to, you know, like... It's unnecessary interruption. And the reason why I could talk like that was because I hadn't understood the grace of God. When you come to understand the workings of grace, when you submit yourself under the grace of God, you will now see it as the blessed hope. So I pray that may we submit ourselves under the grace of God will be able to teach us to deny ungodliness, deny worldliness, live soberly, live righteously, live godly, and also look forward to the blessed hope of the coming of our Lord. So, Father, upon this scripture, we submit ourselves to grace that we will look forward to the blessed hope of your coming. And, Father, as we've heard this, may it spare us on to preach the word of God. Make the word known on every channel available. Make the word known. May we become carriers of the gospel. May we preach the word with urgency. May we have passion. May we have compassion. May we think of eternity. Thank you, Lord, that you have judged us faithful by making us stewards of this word. We thank you that we have this grace and this ability not to drop the ball, but this time, keep it rolling and keep running with this word that you will see us fit, you will see us pleased, and based on this, you will make us thorough and equipped for every good work. In Jesus' name.
Amen. Thank you, guys. I appreciate you giving me seven minutes of your time. Good night and God bless. Enjoy the rest of your week. Um, happy coming weekend. God bless you.